everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, once again, I am solo. Uh, there seems to be, I seem to be making a habit of this. Uh, in the past, I've talked about Jurassic World. I recently talked about uh, the new Ghostbusters. And today, I wanted to talk about Sausage Party. Um, a number of listeners emailed me and said that I should watch it and talk about it on the show. Um, I don't think it warranted a full episode, though. Um, I probably could have stretched it into a full episode, and maybe I still will at some point, but for the time being, I have some thoughts, and I needed to get them out, so uh, I'm sure many of you can imagine some of the things that I have to say, um, and that's okay. Uh, and that's the thing is I do have very specific things that I want to say, so I actually wrote it all down, um, and so I'll, I'll probably just be reading it. So I do apologize if this comes off as a little bit robotic, but uh, I hope you'll just bear with me. So, okay, uh, so I'm going to lead with just some basic information. Information. Uh, so this is Sausage Party, directed by Greg Tiernan and Conrad Vernon, written by Kyle Hunter, uh, Ariel Schaefer, um, Seth Rogen, and Evan Goldberg, um, with Rogen and Goldberg sort of being the, the driving force behind the film. It stars... Seth Rogen, Kristen Wiig, James Franco, Bill Hader, Michael Sarah, uh, Salma Hayek, Jonah Hill, Nick Kroll, uh, let's see, David Krumholtz, Danny McBride, Edward Norton, Craig Robinson, just a, a, a really big cast, um, and people who clearly uh, enjoyed doing what they were doing. So uh, I'll provide you with a very brief summary. I'm sure many of you already know this, but I thought I would go ahead and, and read it. Um, uh, all the foods and a few notable other objects in Shopwell's grocery store spend their days waiting until the gods select them and take them to the great beyond. However, when word gets back to the, uh, that the great beyond doesn't exist and that these gods could in fact be brutal murderers that kill and eat the foods, our heroes set out in search of answers. What they find challenges their most cherished beliefs. All right. So it's that last part that obviously... Um, caused people to think that uh, this would be a good thing to talk about on the show, and I and I agree, at least uh, in minisode format. Um, some really quick uh, bits of symbolism. The gods are, are clearly meant to be just a stand-in for God, or at least the idea of a god. Uh, at the beginning of every day, the foods sing a song. Uh, it's I believe it was co-written by Alan Menken, so it definitely does have a, a Disney quality to it. Uh, and they just sing a song about worshiping the gods and how they'll go to the great beyond one day. And so the song is what their beliefs are based on. So it's essentially scripture. It's the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, whatever. Um, there is a stock boy that comes along and throws expired food away and the way he is shot and the way he's talked about he's basically the devil though we actually don't see much of him in that capacity and then of course the great beyond is meant to be heaven so okay i'm gonna go through a few key things about the film that bother me and again i did write this down so just uh, bear with me so let's start with the great beyond uh, the Great Beyond is played up as the ultimate reward for good behavior. Once there, the characters can do whatever they want, and this being a Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg film, that basically means they finally get to have sex. Uh, Rogen and Goldberg's view of the afterlife is incredibly juvenile and low stakes, as we saw here and in uh, This Is The End, which we actually did do an episode about at some point. Um, it's all sex and drugs without any consequences. It's astonishing to me just how simple and boring their view of heaven is. 
the heaven that Christians believe in isn't simply a place where you get everything you want. It's finally being in the full presence of God, whose love for you washes away your sin and insecurity, but who embraces you right now, even in your imperfection. It's finally being able to shed the various things that the world says is so important and that we kick ourselves for not having or losing. Popularity, financial independence, attractiveness. It's the feeling of being able to lay down your lifelong burden at God's feet and finally uh, being really able to breathe. It's everlasting peace. That's what people talk about when they talk about heaven. It's not just a place where you'll get high and have a lot of sex. So as we've said on the show before, uh, Josh, Reed, Robert, and I, we make a distinction between cultural Christianity and actual Christianity. Cultural Christianity is just going through the motions, but not really understanding why. Maybe just doing it because everybody else is. Uh, it's all just a facade, and when challenged, it will fall apart. So, it would appear that Rogan and Goldberg have what can only be described as a cultural understanding of religion. It's all a list of rules. As we saw in This is the End, if you adhere to these rules, you go to heaven. If you don't follow the rules, you go to hell. It's completely works-based, and yes, exhausting. To invoke the name of a deity only to make people stay in line is to have only a superficial understanding of religion. Can non-religious people be moral? Yes, they can. And if actual religion were only about morality, then this would be an earth-shattering realization. But, as a Christian, I can only speak for Christianity, it is about something more. It's about connecting with your creator. Yes, there is sin, but Jesus' sacrifice brushes that away so that we might be better connected with him. Do we still sin? Yes, but the forgiveness is still there. It's always there. So that we don't have to let our own sins separate us from the love of God, which is what this is all about. It is about a relationship. Uh, and because Rogan and Goldberg don't understand that and don't engage with religion on that level, anything they say will only ever address a superficial cultural religion that is a pale imitation of the real thing. So, to get into the meat of it. In the film, the real truth is that long ago, the foods led lives without hope. They would sit on their shelves and despair because they knew eventually they would either expire or be killed. So a non-perishable non named Firewater, uh, who is a brand of liquor with a Native American dialect, uh, he decided to write a catchy, hopeful song that all the foods sing at the beginning of every day. In this song, the goodness of the gods is acknowledged and the promise of the great beyond is made. This is not... Uh, this not only allowed the foods to live in relative peace, but to also behave themselves. Once this is revealed, Firewater discusses how frustrated he is with how the song has changed over the years, with each food adding their, uh, a bit of their own agenda to it. This seems to be the writer's way of acknowledging the role that religion has played in human history, uh, giving us hope uh, after death and, and an incentive to behave well in life. But Firewater's own frustration with what the song has become and his willingness to throw it away entirely is the writers exploring the way the religion has apparently been perverted over the years and that we no longer need it and can simply throw it out. All right, fair enough. But to me, this story beat seems, an, seems like an argument against secular morality. Firewater may get angry with how his song has been changed, but in the end, why does his opinion matter? Yes, he might have been the one to write it, but he's just one more product. Why does his definition of morality matter more than most? Because he's been around longer? Who cares? 
The reason that the song can be so casually tossed aside is precisely because it was written by a fellow store product. In that same way, if human morality is just a function of ourselves, what right do we have to tell anybody else what to do? We're all on an equal playing field. What right do we have to get mad when somebody steps outside of our social norms? Perhaps somebody that rejects this morality isn't awful, he's just evolved. It's like the Joker said in The Dark Knight, I'm not a monster, I'm just ahead of the curve. Firewater has no right to get angry, because perishable or not, he's no better than the rest of the foods. Okay. So that brings us to the gods. One of the biggest problems with the film and its muddled symbolism is that while the great beyond doesn't exist, the gods do. Humans are real, and they interact with the foods in the store. What's more, the gods created everything in the store and the store itself. The foods literally wouldn't have life if it weren't for the gods. And to take it one step further... Everything in that store was made with a specific purpose in mind. Firewater may have made up the song about the great beyond, but he didn't make up the gods themselves. They are real, they have personalities, and they have a will. Now, perhaps the gods, in their ignorance of the food's quote-unquote humanity, uh, that perhaps they're a stand-in for Mother Nature or the Earth itself. It has no regard for us, but we ascribe meaning to it for our own comfort and sanity. Okay, that could be an argument. But the humans in the film are eventually made aware of the food sentience, and they have a definite reaction. Admittedly, the reaction is usually fear, but there is one human who is immediately sympathetic to the food's plight and swears never to eat food again. What exactly are we supposed to make of that? So the film's portrayal of the gods is just as muddled and thin as everything else. Okay, so... When you're making a film like this, it's important to understand how the universe works. Uh, that is to say, the universe of the film. The foods are alive and can talk. Okay, so far so good. But then we get a character simply named Douche. I'm sure you can imagine what he is. Uh, he can also talk. We get toilet paper and condoms that are alive, but the shelves themselves don't talk. The shopping carts, uh, the shopping carts aren't alive. So where exactly does life start in this universe? This... Strictly speaking, this isn't that big of a gripe for me, or at least it shouldn't be. The film is a comedy, and I'm willing to overlook things uh, in a comedy. The problem is, the film has a philosophy behind it. Were it content to simply be mindless, I would treat it as such, and I would push these things out of my mind. But it has something to say, and that something is all about thinking critically about the things we're told. So if the movie wants me to think critically, I'm happy to do so. And that's why the flawed mythology bothers me so much. But again, it wouldn't, provided the film made me laugh. And perhaps that's the, that's the thing. Perhaps Sausage Party's biggest problem for me is that it isn't really that funny. It's a funny premise, and the sequence in which the foods are eventually consumed made me laugh. But so much of the humor seems to come from the idea that it's funny to have cartoons swear and have sex. Now, as is the case with any artistic choice, the choice isn't effective in and of itself. It's how you use it. And Sausage Party doesn't do anything particularly creative with it, as opposed to, say, South Park, which has been doing this stuff for 20 seasons and has always found fun and interesting ways to be both profane and blasphemous. There's a sequence at the end of the film, which is essentially a food orgy. This is probably the most comedically effective part of the film, mostly because of its audacity. But even then, the characters make choices during the sequence that we have no reason to believe they'd make. Even in the most absurd comedies, consistency is important. Uh, 
And what's particularly funny to me, not because the film finds it funny, but what's funny to me is that the film is clearly trying to be a parody of Pixar films. And with its use of profanity and sexuality, it's obviously attempting to be a more adult, uh, a more mature version of a Pixar movie. But what I'll say is that while this movie may be rated R, your average Pixar film is infinitely more mature than Sausage Party and funnier. So here's the thing. Sausage Party currently has 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. So when looking at the reviews, it would appear the lot, that a lot of the critics appreciate the audacity of the film, as I mentioned before. But in a number of the reviews, the critics seem to go out of their way to talk about the themes of the film. They talk about how refreshing it is that a film is exploring this stuff. This bothers me to no end. Because I've heard all that before. Oh, the film is trying to say something? So was Fireproof. So was God's Not Dead. So was Saving Christmas for Pete's sake. I've been told over and over again that, as, that I, as a Christian, shouldn't give Christian film a free pass due to its intentions. And I don't. But I would hope that these critics aren't elevating a lazy comedy to the highest heights simply because it's trying to say something, especially when the thing that it's trying to say is about on par with a 17-year-old who just got baked and watched Dogma and has some thoughts he'd like to share. Oh, and he thinks he's got the whole Israel-Palestine thing figured out too, because that's an easy one. Uh, and real quick, I should mention that uh, critic Esther O'Reilly wrote a nice piece about this whole thing with uh, the critics that I'm talking about, and I will link to that in the show notes. All right. So obviously, I disagree with the conclusions of Sausage Party, but frankly, I'm not exactly used to agreeing with a lot of Hollywood philosophies, and yet I still enjoy a lot of these movies because they take the time and make the effort. This film does not. A film isn't what it's about, it's how it's about it. Roger Ebert said that, and it's something that I have to repeat to myself and to other Christians whenever we start to judge a film on its message and not its execution. And I would implore you to apply that to this film. If you're somebody that questions religion, that's fine. I understand. But please, if you do, don't let this film be part of your thought process. It doesn't deserve a place at the table any more than a drunk who shambles into a wedding and wants to make a toast. Sausage Party is a bad movie on every possible level, and it's not because of its satirical elements that I can't handle. It's because it's a bad, lazy movie. You want good religious satire? Tune in next week because that's what we're going to be talking about. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.